0: Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. We are in the process of going through a series at the minute. And this particular part of the series, second part of the series, is called Rescued from Rejection. And um, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. And as you turn in, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord God and our Father in heaven, you have provided for us so many great and precious promises. Would you please help us to be in the place where we can appreciate not just some of those promises but all of those promises because they are for us. And Lord, would you contribute to providing us with that understanding, even today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Isaiah 53, one verse, verse three. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Again, welcome to this, the second week of a mini-series. And this is a series that's leading up to Easter Sunday. How many of you know that Easter Sunday is probably the largest and most important celebration on our Christian calendar? And the series, as I said, is called Rescued, highlighting the different aspects of the work of the Lord Jesus through his death and his resurrection. Now, the series is in five parts, as Pastor E mentioned last week. Rescue or salvation, if you like. And it's rescue from five things. It's rescue from sin, rescue from rejection, which is what we're looking at today. Rejection for, um, rescue from slavery, rescue from wrath, and rescue from guilt. I don't even know that's a good list to be rescued from. Now, if salvation is the big picture, these are the details. If salvation is the forest, these are the trees. If salvation is the headline, then the messages over the next few weeks will make up a small print. So if I asked you, are you saved? What does that mean? Well today, we will look at one of the various things that it means. Adoption. Now under the the title of salvation, when a person gets saved or receives salvation, they are brought to life. And what do we call that? We call that regeneration. When a person gets saved, they're no longer guilty of sin, what do we call that? Begins with J. Justification, now these are, these, are, these are terms that we mustn't be afraid of, and as believers we must become appreciative of. Justification is a legal term and it's the opposite of being condemned. When a person gets saved and are progressively changed over a process of time, what do we call that? We call that sanctification. And when a person gets saved or receives salvation, they're brought into God's family. What do we call that? Adoption. It means becoming legally related to God by becoming a son. We can call these, if you like, the shuns, right? Regeneration, justification, sanctification, adoption. The shuns that accompany salvation. We can be really guilty of just taking in information, whether it's singing or whether it's someone speaking. But this is more about taking in information. It's about transformation. That is church, quote unquote, us coming together. And if transformation isn't taking place and all we're doing is getting information, Either we as pastors are not doing our job, or you're not listening. So I'm going to ask you to do something unusual this week. I'm going to ask you not to take any notes. I'm going to ask you to because I mean, it's being recorded, right? I mean, hopefully. <laughs> and um, audio and video. Please don't take any notes. And don't turn to any of the verses, because I've got them all up, all up on the screen. And if you're worried about maybe me preaching error and you want to check it in your Bible, you can check the recording, and you can come see me next week. I'm not going anywhere. By the grace of God, I'll be here next week, so if you need to have me up. So no, no scribbling, no tapping on your iPad or your phones, and I'm just gonna ask you this week just to listen. I mean, because a lot of them notes that we take, they end up getting put in some folder and put on some shelf somewhere that we'll never look at until Jesus comes back, right? (laughs) So, see, my my, my desire is that you not miss the message today for those reasons. And the the community group leaders can take notes because they need to take notes, right? Especially for this week. Now, regarding the video, that's how we understand adoption which is very similar to the Greco-Roman New Testament times. Edward Ferguson, who writes with regards to backgrounds of early Christianity, second edition, talking about the nature of adoption in antiquity, he says, the person adopted at any age was taken out of his previous condition. All old debts were canceled, and he started a new life in a, relation, in a relation of sonship to the new family whose name he took and to whose inheritance he was now entitled. The new father now owned the adoptee's property and controlled his personal relationships and had the right of discipline while assuming responsibility for his support and liability for his actions. This was in Paul's mind, as he particularly, more than any other New Testament writer, writes about this particular topic. Adoption is God's gracious act of including us as members in his family, sons in his household, with all the rights and privileges of our our new relationship with him. It's a legal term, but it's also a relational term. It's being born outside of a particular family then being brought into an alternative family, spiritually speaking. And it refers to the state of being formally and legally declared a person's child who had never been a part of that family originally by birth. I suspect that's pretty clear. From that moment forward, they are treated and cared for as as if they were now a natural child with all the rights and the privileges of that new status. It's formal, it's official, it's legal. But it's more than just legal, it's relational. Now, let's look at a list of some of the benefits for those who are adopted into God's family. I mean, and this is overwhelming. Not just for not just for Christians. I mean, this is amazing for us as believers. As I've been thinking about this the past few weeks, and months actually. But this is wonderful for individuals who are not yet believers, who are not yet Christians, who are not yet a part of God's family. Galatians 5, sorry, Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5 says but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Notice it says adoption as sons. Now does that mean that if you're female, it doesn't relate to you? No. Girls, this includes you. It's about status and not gender. A son in ancient times benefited from all of the family privileges, and the term is patrilineal, patrilineal. It comes, from, it comes from the father who bequeaths only to his male descendants. Daughters are not included. They don't inherit. Some translations with a desire to make this more gender neutral, they translate the word what? Children. But it's not children, it's sons. And there's a difference. The NIV is fantastic, at least with regards to this verse, because it says, adoption to sonship. So ladies, if you trust in Christ, you receive elevated status that females didn't enjoy historically. You now receive the legal status of sonship, so in the context of adoption, don't be offended when the Bible refers to you as sons. Ephesians 5 and Revelation 22, they say that as Christians we are the bride of Christ, so if as a man I don't mind being called the bride, then you ladies ought not to worry about being called sons, amen? Okay, so what are the benefits of adoption? First of all, Adoption is something that God does for us. Ephesians chapter one said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us and he has in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it's always in Christ that we're blessed. Verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, Pastor P already dealt with this when he went through the book of Ephesians last year. Predestination, another shun, right? God predestined us for adoption, how? Through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection. Now, naturally speaking, How many adopted children have you seen initially choose their adoptive parent? None. The child doesn't choose the parent, the parent chooses the child. See that's naturally speaking, but it's also true spiritually speaking. The parent goes wherever it is they go, to Bosnia, or they go to somewhere in Central Asia or Southern America, they go and they search for that child. And then when they find that child, they set their love upon that child. Is that not right? Now, there does come a point where the child responds, hopefully, in choosing the parent, but it's absolutely clear from this text which one comes first. Verse four, even as he, that is God, chose us in him, in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world. Now, I suppose, talk about set the cat amongst the pigeons. Some of you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I cannot encourage you, particularly if you've never been to community group, to go to community group this week. Maybe this week God has elected you to go to community group. Now you see this issue, this is, not an, this is not a hill to die on. Especially if you believe that God is sovereign. Yet, sometimes we expect to change someone's mind about our opinion in five minutes. When it's taken us possibly 10, 15, 20 years to come to a place of understanding with regards to where we might particularly stand on either side. And I'm talking to both groups. Now if you do go to community group this week, don't you dare make this the big issue. Because this is not the issue. It's not the central issue. I'm not saying it's not important, but this is not the central issue, right? And we have to be careful, because you know the Bible says we have to mark those that cause division among us. It's true, isn't it? And there are those who would wanna cause division regarding things like eschatology. You know, eschatology is a, a fancy word for what you believe about the end times. You know, people wanna divide on issues like that. That's madness. Some people wanna divide on, on pneumatology. That's about, okay, the, work, the working of the Holy Spirit. This is not an issue to divide on. Let's not allow these issues to divide us. You know, God chooses and you choose. It's both. So back to the main issue, that is our list of the benefits of adoption. Number two, adoption presupposes that we were outside of God's family. Adoption presupposes that we were outside of God's family. It's bringing someone in who was what? Who was out, they were outside the family. John chapter one verse 10 through 13 says, he, speaking of Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, that is the Jews right, and his own people did not receive him, but, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. who Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, this contradicts the whole brotherhood of man thing. This contradicts the universal fatherhood of God, right? That's the argument that, you know what, we're all children of God. No, we're not. And this is not an easy thing to say, but God is not the universal father of every individual. Now, we are all God's creation. See, that is, but we're not all brothers and sisters. That is in a spiritual sense. How many of you know that angels are God's creation, but how many of you know that me and angels are not family? Just because God creates us doesn't immediately, automatically, the brotherhood of man, no. See, this confirms, if you like, the unity of the human race. That is, we're all supposed to respect one another because we're all created in the image of God. But we are are not all in the same family. Listen to John 8. This is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of his time. And imagine, he's speaking to people who are supposed to be, who call themselves children of God. Verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You are doing what your father did. And your will is to do your father's desires. Okay, I wonder what this father of theirs is like. Well, he was a murderer from the beginning, Uh uh-oh, and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. You, says Jesus, you religious individuals who call yourselves children of God, you're doing what your father did and you are of your father the devil, spiritually speaking. Matthew chapter six, verse seven through nine says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, be, see for your father, and obviously there's a contrast, knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In one instant, Jesus is speaking about the devil. In another, he's speaking about God. Two different dads, two different sets of kids. If you've got different fathers, how can you be brothers in that sense? See, adoption, bringing a person in who was out, adoption presupposes that we were outside of God's family until we put our faith in Christ. The third thing that we see is adoption provides us with the spirit of Jesus. Galatians chapter four, verse four to six says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Albert Barnes says, the Lord Jesus, he was enabled to approach God with the language of endearment and love. So they, so, so they would be, he being the, the true and exalted son of God had the spirit appropriate to such a relation. They being adopted and made like him have the same spirit. The spirit which made them like the Lord Jesus, the spirit by which they were enabled to approach God as his children and use the reverent and tender and affectionate language of a child addressing a father. It is that language used by Christians when they have evidence of adoption the expression of the warm and elevated and glowing emotions which they have when they can approach God as their God and address Him as their Father. You know whether or not you are a child of God if you cry out to Him as Father. If you never cry out to Him as Father, And the word is Abba. Father is Hebrew for daddy. Now, my, my kids don't hesitate to call me Abba, which is a relational term of endearment. Daddy. My kids, when making a petition, they don't pull out their birth certificate to validate their relationship, they scream, Dad! or Daddy. See, they, they come to me boldly to obtain help in their time of need. Amen? In the context of sonship, Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We will do this intrinsically. That is if we have genuinely been adopted into God's family. But then, sometimes, do you have a desire to cry out to God and you feel inhibited? And you're a genuine child of God and you struggle to communicate your heart to God. And you don't sometimes because the devil deceives you at that moment like he did to like he did Eve in the garden or like he tried to deceive Jesus in the wilderness. Are you really the son of God? That's how it comes to us, isn't it? How can you pray? After you just did what you just did. But yet, don't listen to that voice. If you sense the need to cry out to God as your father, you need to do so. Don't be inhibited. Jesus cried out to the father in Gethsemane, didn't he? we can also call out to God our Father in our time of difficulty. Adoption provides us with the Holy Spirit that enables and motivates us to cry out to God. The fourth thing that we benefit from with regards to this issue of adoption. Adoption also changes our status, that from slaves to sons. Galatians chapter six, verse six and seven, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which we just read, verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Can you see the stark contrast? Slave to son, Talk about a giant leap for mankind. Ephesians two, verse one and two, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. See, at this point, we were members of another family, right? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, notice the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You know, we've got a different spirit working in different sons. And it's not the Holy Spirit encouraging them to cry, Abba, Father, but this is the spirit now that's at work in a different way. Can you see see another spirit at work in those who have not been adopted? Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you see the new elevated, exalted position that we get to enjoy? Verse seven, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. How? In Christ Jesus. pauper to prince. Guilty pauper to glorious prince. Ugly duckling to beautiful swan. Slave girl to Cinderella. From children of wrath to children of God, with an unprecedented inheritance. Romans chapter eight, verse 15 through 17 says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons who, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, now this is, This is not the same verses that we read before. This is Romans, verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. See, what does Jesus not own? Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth, you want a bigger inheritance than that? I mean God owns more than that and we actually have more than that. But if we start with the earth, that's quite a big inheritance. I mean there's people killing up themselves for one millionth of a slice of what's on the earth, right? And if children, verse 17, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering is unmistakably associated with glory. There's no crown without a cross. Paul says in Acts 14, he says, that it is through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which nicely leads us into our fifth and final point. The fifth point is adoption provides loving discipline. Hebrews 12, verse five through eight. It says, and have you forgotten, and it's funny that he has to say that, right? It's because it's one of the things that we do, we forget. Have you forgotten the exhortation that exhortation addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and, ch- and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Notice, this is a father speaking to a son. And no son is exempt. You see verse six? every son, every child. And this is, the, this is the well-balanced responsibility of a parent. If you're a parent, you know. You don't always give your kids what they want. And then when they step out of line, you deal with them lovingly. And what they do never frustrates their relationship. Well, it ought not to. They will always continue to be your children regardless of what they do. It's never gonna change. That can never change. But when they, when they step across the line and they, they breach the boundaries, they frustrate the relationship, don't they? And it's like in a marriage. You're married and things are not going good. It don't mean you're not married. It's a covenant. You can't break that covenant. But you're frustrated, innit? So you gotta make amends. And as God's children, because he's a responsible father. When we cross the line, he would discipline us, and he does so because he loves us. It's only what any responsible father would do. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there that a father doesn't discipline? Surely this is, can I tell you two stories as we finish? I'm telling you a story about a criminal And this criminal has committed premeditated murder, right? This is murder with intent. And the murderer is standing in the dock. Now let's say the murderer is me. Judge comes out, weighs up the evidence and he finds me guilty. And then he goes on to sentence me to death. Because of the crime that I've committed. Now, on the outside, I smile nervously. Inside, I feel like a nuclear explosion has just taken place. But I still don't care, because you know I've come this far, and it's whatever in it. The guy had to get what he needed to get. Furthermore, my boys are all in the gallery in it, so I can't, I can't what, break down and start crying or something moist like that. So the judge then declares my sentence. Tomorrow morning, I will be executed. And I'll be executed by electrocution, electric chair. There goes another internal nuclear explosion. Now, something strange happens at this point. As I'm standing there in the dock, I see someone move or motion towards the bench, towards the judge, and I see some whispering, and then it comes back that apparently, this individual is prepared to take my penalty. This person is prepared to be a substitute for my crimes. Right? I'm standing there thinking, but wait a minute. I'm under, no, I'm under no illusions as to whether or not I should die because I'm guilty and I know that I'm guilty. And a minute ago, I didn't care. But why would somebody want to do that for me? I deserve to die and this guy, this random individual is prepared to pay for my crime and at the risk of losing his life. So that night, I'm taken back to my cell in handcuffs. But I go through a strange transformation because I'm trying to figure out why on earth this person would do that for me. And I'm pacing up and down in my cell, trying to figure this out, thinking this must be some kind of joke. What kind of wicked joke is this that somebody would play on a man on death row? I can't sleep that night, not a wink, and then the sun comes up, and then I hear one of the prison officers, one of the policemen, come to the door, and they lead me out. (coughs) I come out of that cell a different man. I come out of that cell completely transformed. I'm not the same man that went in 12 hours ago. And they escort me, in handcuffs back to the courtroom. Now this time I get to sit in the courtroom but right next to the jury and I'm looking at the dock. And it's not me standing in the dock now, it's this random guy standing in the dock who determined to take my place. And the judge comes in and proclaims a sentence that was mine now on this individual. After the sentencing, same policeman that brought me in now takes me into another room, down a corridor, and in this room there's a one-way mirror-type glass, and in the other section of the room, I see this guy sitting in a chair, all strapped up, They put a beanbag in his mouth and they drag a bag over his head. And then someone prepares to throw a switch. He looks at the clock. It's nine o'clock. He throws the switch. (laughs) Without being over graphic, a doctor comes in, looks at the clock, and declares this man dead at 9.05. Now I'm on the other side of the glass. The policeman who's sitting next to me indicates for me to stand, leads me down another corridor, and I come to a counter where they hand me a bag full of my personal belongings. Same policeman takes out his key, unlocks my handcuffs, and he says, you're free to go. He says, it is finished. I come out, the courtroom, and the sun's shining. And in the same way that I went in to that courtroom, 72 hours ago is not the way that I come out. Now I notice the sun in the sky. I can feel the heat on my skin. And I'm a different man. Now a few things have happened. Think about this. One, I've just been justified. I was guilty, but now I'm no longer guilty. The Lord does not hold me account, accountable for the, the crimes that I've committed. That's the first thing. How wonderful is that? But then the second thing is, I've been regenerated. That is, I've been brought to life. I'm a different person now. I don't feel the same way I felt as I look at people walking up and down the street and I see people driving in their cars and I look at the trees. I'm a different person now. You see the two things that have happened? I'm a different man on the inside. Now, how many of you know that in itself is wonderful? But salvation is more than that. After all that that God has done in conjunction with with that, he now wants to adopt me into his I could be walking down the street, a free man with my couple things in my bag, No one ain't gonna come and grab me, I don't have to look over my shoulder, and I'm changed. But now as I'm walking down the street on my own, justified and and changed, God now says to me, Robert, I want you to become a part of my family. As you know, this mystery man who took my place in the courtroom, was the same man who took my sin when he went to the cross. And because of him, we're rescued from rejection. Rescued from rejection and adopted into God's family. Because Jesus was rejected, I can now be reconciled to God. Speaking prophetically about Jesus, Isaiah says right here in our verse, if you look at verse three, he, that is Jesus, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. During Jesus' lifetime, many despised him, many rejected him. He was a man of great joy, but he was also deeply acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man who wasn't highly esteemed, one who still isn't highly esteemed. Do do you esteem him? Or do you despise him? Do you reject him, the one who was rejected for you? Or do you love him because of what he's done for you? Now I gave you the first story, here's my second story. A man is traveling to New York, this is a much shorter story. A man is traveling to New York and it's about the, the 1850s, so it's a couple of years ago, right? And he's going to collect his inheritance of a million dollars. Now, how many of you know a million dollars would be a lot of money now, let alone in the 1850s? And he's traveling by carriage. Now, he's already traveled approximately 200 miles. He's got one mile left to go, and the carriage wheel breaks. Now remember, where's he going? He's going to New York to do what? To collect his inheritance, you know. So the carriage wheel breaks, and my man's, oh, come on, this carriage wheel's broken. Oh, I can't believe it. Mm, bah, humbug. Now, should that be this man's attitude? I mean, fam, you're about to go collect. Like, um, did you hear the story about this about this syndicate who won 38 million? Must be this week. And you look, listen to 97.3, and um. Apparently, I don't know how many of them was in this syndicate, right? But then this woman was in the syndicate, and for, for, I don't know, for the past six months, she must have dropped out of the syndicate, two twos, 38, the numbers come up. And they said that she'd been paying in there for so long, she'd paid something like 1,200 pound. But they kept on, and they had paid 1,900 pound over the process of time, and they win the jackpot. Now this poor woman, (laughs) And they were debating on the radio right, as to whether or not, should she get some of the money? Apparently she's saying, please, can I just just get one million of the money? (laughs) Can I just get one million? You know what I mean? um, But I'd be like, I mean, a million. I'd be happy with a million. It would be nothing for them to give her a million. I don't even know what they decided to do in the end. Anybody know what they decided to do yet? They should just... I think they should just give her a million. Apparently, people were phoning up. 83% said, don't give her nothing. People are bad mind-boy, I tell you. I bet if it was them, they wouldn't say that, right? But I'd be like, this man's going to collect a million dollars. you would be like, surely you could have a better attitude than that. Now, obviously, you know where I'm going. We have much more than can be compared to a million dollars in terms of our inheritance. Yet, very often, what is our attitude? And I think, I wonder if I could ask, I don't know if, um, who was leading praise. Are they still in the room or not, Bex? Bex, sorry, I got in a bit late at the back. Um, Bex, if you could come up and just help me, sis. Um, what is your attitude to the good things that God has done in your life? What's your attitude to the, to the, are you like this brother, moaning and murmuring and always complaining? I mean, look, the sun's shining in the spring, what have you got to complain about? I mean, even if things are not good, and I speak to myself, because I'm just like you, I'm a man of light passion. Um, God has been really good to us, and We've been rescued from rejection. It's one thing when you're, you, know, you get rejected by a girl, and it guys? You know what I mean, or you're a girl and you get rejected by a guy. It's one thing when people at work shun you because you're a Christian. and But when we weigh this thing up, have I dropped you in it, sis? You sure, sure? When we weigh things up, I wonder if we could pray Um, And then once we've prayed, maybe I'll ask Becky to lead us in a song. Shall we pray? Our Father, you who are in heaven, our Father, our Abba, thank you for the Lord Jesus who provides us with the opportunity to become your children. If we then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much How much more will you give to us good things who ask of you, because you're good? Father, would you please help us to understand the grand and lofty relationship that we have with you? And Father, would you invite others who are outside of your family to join your family, even today, Lord, as they see the benefits of the multi-million pound rollover, my gosh. Lord, what a benefit it is for us to be in your family. Encourage someone to join your family today, I pray. And do that by your spirit. And we ask that you do that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Do it for Jesus' sake. Not for, not for my sake, Lord. Not even for the, the sake of that individual. Father, would you do it for Jesus' sake. Amen.